Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So, of course, as always, we are here to know God and make him known. That is our mission as a church, to come into an ever-growing personal relationship with Jesus Christ and then walk out of these doors ready to share that with the world around us. And we have been looking at how to be a Christian, that there isn't a... We don't get to just like get saved and then, all right, Jesus, I'll see you in heaven in 80 years. But instead, we are called to live a specific type of life, to follow after Jesus. And so we answer that question, how to be a Christian and what is a Christian, by making everybody understand or helping everybody to understand that biblically, a Christian is not someone who believes in Jesus and then does what they want. But a genuine Christian is someone who is following after Jesus Christ, that they are a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, who has submitted their whole life to him. And, and disciple essentially just means follower or learner, but it is, uh, it's more than just acknowledging who he is. It is turning our whole life over to him, that we're supposed to be learners sitting at his feet and submitting our whole life to his lordship, because Jesus is Lord, is what the Bible teaches us. Whether you acknowledge him or not as Lord of your life is your choice. Now, to acknowledge him as Lord is to turn your your ways over to him and his teachings and follow after him in every area of life. And that includes pursuing purity and taking steps to separate ourselves from sin, realizing that there are right and wrong ways of living in this world according to the teachings of Jesus and his word. And we must, as Christians, take active steps to be pure, that we will have regular devotional times sitting at the feet of Jesus by reading his word and allowing him to teach us, but also praying as he did and submitting ourselves to the will of our heavenly father. We will have a desire to learn and apply the word of God as the the final and total authority for everything in our life, for life and godliness. And that we will have a heart for evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with people that we meet. And yeah, I know we've been reviewing this every week. Look, if it's any encouragement, this is week 10. So you only have two more weeks of this. All right. Um, And that, that a Christian is supposed to not only have a heart for evangelism, and, but also bring others into fellowship and yourself attend church regularly to worship God, have your spiritual needs met, and make a contribution to the body. Last week we talked about a Christian should want to fellowship regularly. And fellowship starts maybe with some food, but it's about genuinely sharing our lives with one another. Breaking down the barriers, stop being so... Well, in the back door, out the back door, as soon as things are starting and ending, but instead genuinely sharing our lives, displaying love and unity. And then today, we're going to talk about the fact that a Christian, a Christian should demonstrate a servant heart by helping others in practical ways. Specifically, starting with the body of Christ and then moving out to the whole world around us. First John 3.16, the Apostle John writes this. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. And a lot of us will stop right there and go, amen, hallelujah. I, I really like that verse. That's 
the start, though, it says this, then we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Everyone should look around the room, kind of just, you know, don't stare at anybody, but look around real quick and see that everyone who has confessed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, these are your brothers and sisters in the faith. And if you are a Christian, you yourself has made that profession of faith, understanding that God created you for relationship, but you rebelled against him and earned for yourself his wrath and the the punishment of eternal death. But God loved you so much that he sent Jesus, his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity. And Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life on your behalf and then died on the cross to be the sacrifice for your sins to take the punishment for your rebellion that you deserve he took it upon himself and he died on that cross he was buried and rose again on the third day and he promises us that whoever believes on him whoever follows after him as lord and savior will be saved that we will be set free from the wrath of god that we will be cleansed from our rebellion against a perfect and loving creator and brought into a place of new life and once that happens for us as individuals we are brought together as a family and called brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to be willing to give of ourselves in a fashion like that, that Jesus gave himself. If you have a Bible or your Bible app, which uh, you can open up today's sermon in the Bible app, turn with me to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, or, you know, your Bible app, scroll with me and tap uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. So John The Apostle John, who was a follower of Jesus, followed uh, Jesus for three and a half years or so in ministry. Um, He was actually the beloved disciple, the one who was likely one of the closest to Jesus. Uh, It was John, Peter, and James, John's brother. And, And these three men knew Jesus intimately. And John writes his gospel to help us know who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and and that we can believe on him and have eternal life. And and here in John chapter 13, we have the only place where this one story about the last night of Jesus' life is shared with us. So if you have your Bible or you got your Bible app open, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, God's word says this. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. 
When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, and you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus, on this last night before his crucifixion, has time to have a meal with his followers, his closest, most intimate followers. And he begins to to do some stuff for them. So looking here in the first three verses or so of this passage, we see some things that Jesus knew some things were coming. He knew that his death was at hand. Jesus was fully aware that within the next few hours, he would be tortured. He would be crucified and he would suffer the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of all mankind and especially for those who would believe upon him. So Jesus knew that his death was at hand and yet he still continued to love his disciples. You got to wonder how many of us, if we knew that something catastrophic was around the corner, would still find the strength in ourselves to love others. To give of ourselves for others. I got to thank myself. If I know something bad's coming down the pike, I'm going to be like, yeah, I just need some me time. Uh, I really, I'm going to do some self-care. And, uh, you know, you guys take care of each other and I'll see you on the other side. But I've got a bad day ahead. Um, and, and I know some of you guys have interacted with me when I'm sick or I'm on cold medicine. And I'm usually pretty good, but I get on cold medicine. And for some reason, I can just be like the Grinch that stole every day of the year. I mean, just, just I'm just like, and, and, and the grumpy comes out of me so easily when I'm on medication. Uh, and, and that's just such a small thing, isn't it? And here's Jesus knowing that he is going to suffer and die for the sins of mankind. Realize that his death was not just a physical experience. It was a spiritual experience as well. And and he knows this is coming and yet he continues to love. Not only does he know that his death is right around the corner, but he also knows that one of the 12 closest people in his life is going to be the one that betrays him and is the human catalyst to bring about his crucifixion so in this room he knows what's coming and yet he still looks at the man who's going to make it and bring it to pass in his life and loves him and serves him so he knew judas was his betrayer and he also knew this though the good news is he knew where he would end up he knew that the father had placed all things in his hands that that everything was going to work out right And as God had ordained. And so he had a confidence, a certainty that even though he knew death was near, he was able to love. And even though he knew he was going to be betrayed by someone he cared for deeply, he was able to have confidence because he knew where he was headed. He knew what was going to happen and he knew he was in the father's hands. And so Jesus, in in this experience, he gets up from supper, lays aside his outer clothing, takes a towel, ties it around himself Next, he pours water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. 
So here, here is the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. Earlier in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, he's telling, he told us that Jesus was in the beginning and was active in creation, one with the Father. So here is God incarnate, the master of these disciples, their teacher, their leader. And he is stooping down. And has a towel wrapped around his waist and he's washing their feet. Now, we might think, ew, that's kind of gross. And I got to tell you, I don't really relish the idea of everybody taking off your shoes and washing your feet. But even in, in that regard, today our feet are likely much cleaner than they would have been in Jesus' day. Understand that, that these men would have been walking through dusty, dirty streets. And of course, the mode of transportation is either your feet or the feet of an animal. And we all know what happens with animals, right? Uh, we put gas into cars, we get exhaust. You put hay into animals, you get exhaust. And, um, and except their exhaust is solid and it falls in the streets. And, and you're, you're tromping through dust and dirt and, and the exhaust from the camels and the donkeys and the other animals. And so when you arrived someplace, your feet, even if you had just bathed, would have been less than savory, let's say. And and it was common practice in this day and age for uh, uh, someone in whose household you were going to that they would provide a servant at the front door to wash your feet. And, and we would have to say that when we see this act of service that Jesus uh, initiates for his disciples, this is actually something that somebody else should have already taken care of. Because in, in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus specifically tells two of his disciples to go and get prepared for this meal. And so preparing for this meal would have been to set the stage for every need that night, not just to get the food, not just to get the wine and the bread and the fruit, not just to make sure that that we've got unleavened bread and 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 that that, that you know the, the the dinner setting is just just right and the candles are lit. You know, there's some nice music playing. No, it, it, that that this actually the washing of feet should have been one of their first priorities because this was a a thing that needed to happen to prepare for the meal, and yet they didn't prepare for it, did they? And how do we know that? Because Jesus has to take it up and do it. This is is actually one of the most menial of tasks in the household. Now, in in this culture, there would have been servants who were both of, of Jewish and Greek or Gentile origins. And in the first century, it was unacceptable for a Jewish servant to wash feet. It was so below... Everybody's standards and, and it's such a menial task that if you were a Jewish householder and you had a Jewish servant and a Gentile servant, you would not have made the Jewish servant wash feet because that was such a detestable job. You would have forced the Gentile or the Greek servant to wash the feet of your guests. So we're looking at a job that should have been done by someone else and it was a bottom rung, lowest level lowest servant in the household kind of task and ultimately we need to understand this was not jesus job the leader the teacher the master should not be the one washing feet 
And it's something that should have been accounted for, had someone else to do. And yet Jesus, instead of standing up at this meal and talking to his disciples and going, Hey guys, do you notice anything about my feet? Anybody noticed anything about our feet? Hey, has anybody seen our feet? And that kind of how church is, right? When there's an issue, we don't say, let me do the job. Let me step in. But we go, hey, did you notice there's a problem? Anybody notice? Come on, let's get a group together and talk about the problem and how terrible it is and how somebody should do something about it. Jesus could have berated his disciples. He could have called them out. And instead, he picks it up and he does the job. Now we see in in chapter 13, verses 6 through 11, in Jesus' interaction with Peter. And he comes to Peter, and Peter's like, no, I'm not going to let you do this. Why does Peter say, Jesus, I'm not going to let you do this? Well, because Jesus or Peter recognized the fact that it was inappropriate for his master to be serving him like this. Peter looks at what Jesus is doing and he says, oh no, this is wrong. This should not be happening. Why are we allowing this to go down? Jesus, I am not going to let you wash my feet. I won't let you serve me like this. And what's really wild is Jesus in this passage, he makes it so clear that service was not beneath him. Not even this task was beneath him. And he actually implies that he's going to serve everyone in an even greater way. In the coming hours. And so we see unfolding here that that Jesus, he's got this day coming up that is going to just not be the best day ever. That that, that he is going to be crucified and he knows it. He's going to have a friend betray him and he knows it. And yet he sees this job that needs to be done and he does it. He has this act of service right before him. And he serves. And then he says this to the disciples in verses 12 and 13. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So Jesus says, okay, so, so now that we're done with this, to recline means he just sat back down at the table. As they ate meals in this day and age, they did not sit in chairs like we did. They would have had low-lying tables and they would have laid upon cushions and, and low-lying couches in order to eat. And so Jesus lays back down at the table, which sounds odd to us, but that was cultural standard at that day. And he says, look, I've just done something for you. And you call me Lord, you call me teacher, you say I'm your master, and I am. And if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Now some of us who are literalists, we might go, okay, so we're all supposed to wash one another's feet, right? Yeah, but no. Because Jesus isn't necessarily instituting foot washing as a practice, but he is instituting the idea of taking the most menial task in a fellowship and shouldering it up yourself and serving other believers according to that task because he was willing to do that for you. To be willing to give of yourself in such a way that there is no job beneath you. There is no act of service that is below you. 
There is no need that you look at and go, that's not for me to do. But if Jesus is willing to do the least important in sense of authority and power job in the household, you too should be willing to do whatever is before you. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, Jesus is, is, is pointing out to us that, that I did not come to save you, to lead you, to call you as my disciples so that you could walk around with inflated egos, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Instead, if you really are my followers, if you, I really am your master, you need to understand you are not greater than me. And if I am willing to do the least job in the household, you too should think that way about yourself. You should, you should view yourself not as someone who is, is more important than everyone else, but instead willing to stoop down to the lowest level in order to serve anyone else in the church or the family of God at any time. And he makes a promise to us. If you know these things, and here's the deal, now you do. <laughs> You're on the hook. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now we read that word blessed and we think of maybe, you know, like hand signals or motions or, or we think of somebody giving something to us. But that word in the original language, it really carries with it an idea of happy, content, and fulfilled. Jesus says, now that you understand you're supposed to be serving one another, if you do it, you will find true contentment. If you do it, you will find a genuine, full life. Fullness of life is not to be found in great accomplishments and leading from the front. It is to be found in a willingness to give of yourself as Christ gave for you in your relationship with other believers. So today's truths, today's things, understand a Christian is a servant. Period. Not a Christian should be a servant, but a Christian is a servant. And the word servant, a lot of times we like to think of a butler, you know, like, like um, Alfred for Batman. And we're not talking Alfred for Batman, you know, I get my own private time and stuff. We're really talking this word means slave. You are a possession of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. And by that, you belong to his body, his people, your brothers and sisters. You are a servant. The question becomes not, are you a servant or not? But rather, are you a faithful servant or are you a rebellious servant? Are you faithful to your master and the call he's placed on your life to give of yourself to others? Or are you walking in rebellion? And if you are walking in rebellion, guess what? You won't experience that blessing that he's promised us. And that blessing that he's promised us is that when we serve one another, we will find contentment. When we serve one another, when we give of ourselves for the sake of others, we will find fulfillment. If we are selfish and rebellious and serve no one but our own hearts and minds, we will not experience that blessing. So understand this call to servanthood, it's not subject to our current circumstances. If anyone had an excuse not to serve, 
it would have been Jesus on that night where he washed the disciples' feet. Because here, first of all, a couple of things about Jesus. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is their master. They are his disciples. There is no reason he should have been serving them. On top of the fact, he's dying in the next 24 hours, and he knows it. He's going to be betrayed within the next six hours or so, and he knows it. And Jesus doesn't look at them all and go, hey, I got a really bad day coming up, guys. I can't serve. I can't give of myself for your sake because it's just, it's going, it's going downhill from here. The, the call to serving one another is not subject to our current circumstances. Now, listen, we should, of course, show grace to one another and expect grace from one another when it comes to having a bad day. But don't you dare be the person who says, I can't because I just, it's, it's just, just not a good time for me. I'm having a bad day. Things aren't working out good for me, so I can't give of myself. If your Savior, who's within just a few hours of betrayal and crucifixion, can do it, you can too. And, and listen, your call to servanthood, it is not subject to the faithfulness of those you serve. There were 12 other people in the room that night. We know that one of them was for certain going to betray Jesus. Do you know what happens with the other 11? They all run off. Only one of them, John, was at the crucifixion. Jesus knew this. Jesus, in fact, if you remember, what does Jesus tell Peter this night? He tells him, before the rooster crows, you'll do what? Deny me three times. The number three is significant. It's perfection. It's, it's totality. Jesus makes a total denial of, I mean, Peter makes a total denial of Jesus before the rooster crows the next morning. And Jesus knows this is coming. He knows all of this betrayal is coming. He knows this abandonment is coming. He knows they will run away as soon as there's trouble. But his faithfulness was not dependent, or his service was not dependent upon their faithfulness. It was dependent upon his call to serve. And the same is true for us. We serve one another not because the other person deserves it. In fact, if we were to be honest and we were to put ourselves in the scales and measure ourselves against the perfection of God and Christ, none of us deserve to be served, do we? We're, we're, we are all sinners who deserve eternal punishment. And yet, by the grace of God, we have been called, we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and made new. And if we don't deserve to be served, and yet he still serves us, it doesn't matter that our brothers and sisters don't be des deserve to be served. We should still serve them. Look around the room. You might make excuses and say, yeah, but they hurt me or they did this or they don't do. And none of this is excuses that will stand before the example of Jesus. The call to servanthood is based upon a couple of things. Number one, love. It says that Jesus loved his disciples. And so he served them. We should learn how to love. That's why last week talking about fellowship, it's so important. We learn how to love one another. What is love? Does it mean we have warm fuzzies about each other all the time? We like to send gifts and cards? Not necessarily. It means we genuinely care to the point of being willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of someone else.
That is love. And that call to servanthood, that's where it all begins, is in love. And in the promises and hope of your future. Now, it says that Jesus, in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Jesus knew that the cross was worth suffering because he knew what the results would be. And he understood that in serving, it was all according to God's plan and in the hands of God. And he had a great hope that it would all work out according to God's plans and provision. You, Christian, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and follow after him as a disciple, you have a sure, certain, unchanging date with Jesus in your future. There is a moment that no one can take away from you and he will not rescind. It's on his calendar where you will see him face to face and be lovingly received into his presence for all eternity. It is an absolute, definite thing for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. And in light of that coming appointment with Jesus, everything else should pale in comparison. Every other sacrifice is worth it. Every other act of service that he calls us to is worth it. Because we have got an appointment with the king of creation who died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. And nobody can take it away from us. And he won't either. And because of that, all of this, we can hold on to it loosely because we know there's even better stuff coming. So how is it that we be servants? How do we become servants? Uh, Jesus says this, a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. Some of us, we walk into church, we walk into the Christian life and we think, well, Jesus loves me so much that he saved me, so I should love myself a lot too. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, be proud of who you are and who the redeemed you is and, and that you're ever increasing in Christ-likeness. But you're not above him. And if he is willing to give of himself, you should be willing to give of yourself in service. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 writes this, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. <laughs> Some of us, instead of a memory verse that is about encouraging us, some of us, we are so overly encouraged in our lives and think so highly of ourselves, this needs to be our memory verse. Stop thinking so much about yourself and begin to think about the body of Christ you were called to serve. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Have a proper view of yourself. Are you important? Yes. Are you the most important person in the room? No. Scripturally, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3 says everyone else in the room is more important than you when you are a Christian. Verse 4 goes on to say uh, uh, that, that we are supposed to be pursuing the good of others. And seeking their good, even above our own good. How, how do we be a servant? How do we serve others properly? You have to begin with an attitude of humility. To walk into a space, to walk into church, to walk into the lives of others and say, I will give to you because God has asked me to. And I, you're more important than me. 
not in an absolute king of all the world kind of way, but in a, I'm supposed to love you like you're more important than me. So be humble. Number two, Jesus says this, uh, telling a parable and speaking of what's going on here. He's calling people to come and serve him. And then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, you let me, uh, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But just let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have people who Jesus says, come follow me, come serve with me, come be with me, come live this Christian life and be a disciple. And their response is, I I will, but let me take care of some personal stuff first. I need a little bit of me time. I need to take care of stuff at home. I I need to get my life straight. And, And so Jesus says, look, this is unacceptable to make excuses. You either follow and serve Or just stop pretending to be my disciple. Because really, if you're not willing to do what he asks, you're playing games. And thinking that by playing games, you're in right standing with God, when in reality, you're only deceiving yourself. So first, we must be humble. Second, we must be consistently available. When the master calls us to a task, we do it. When he puts it before us and we see a need, we do it. Psalm 123, 2 says this, Like a servant's eyes on his master's hands, like a servant girl's eyes on her mistress's hand, so our eyes are on the Lord our God until he shows us favor. There is a practice as a servant. You would watch the hands of your master or mistress. Why would you do that? As soon as they reach for something, do you know what you would do as a good servant? Get up off your keister and go get it for them. They didn't have to say to you, hey, you, go do that. But instead, as a good servant, you anticipated the need of their hearts and and, and minds, and you went and you did it without being asked. And it's critical for us to understand that not only are we supposed to be humble and available, but we're supposed to have our eyes open and serving even when we're not asked to. Jesus says this, Luke 12, 35 and 36. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Be constantly ready to serve and be observant about the needs that are around you. Not so that you can write them on the comment card and hope that the pastor does something. Though oftentimes I will try and do it. But instead, so that you can look at it and go, ooh, a need. I need to do that. I need to step in. I need to fill it. And finally, the last trait of being a servant is this. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells this parable. He says this, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later, he changed his mind And went. Then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered. But he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, as should you, the first. The one who said, I will not, but then does, 
is actually the faithful son, the faithful servant. Instead of the one who says, oh, I will, and then never shows up. You see, we're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be available. We're supposed to be observant, but we're also supposed to be obedient. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, this is the standard for the human slaves of human masters. How much more so for those who are servants to the Most High God? Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Be faithful. Be, be serving, be doing, be the servant you were called to be all the time. Titus 2.9, the apostle Paul writes to Titus and he says this, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back. How many of us, when it's time to serve, we talk back to God? Well, yeah, I'm, but I got, well, but God, you know, this is more important. But the kids, Lord, I mean, there's so much to do for the children. Can't I take an extra weekend away? It's for the kids. No, it's for you. Stop making excuses with your master. But to be a servant, we must be humble and available and observant and faithful and dedicated. Because a Christian demonstrates a servant heart by helping others in practical ways. Now, you might wonder, well, what does that mean, practical ways? Some of us, we get these brilliant ideas for ministry. Just that they are phenomenal. They are life-changing and it will help no one in any real way. Yeah, well, I, I really wanted to raise money so that we could get sheet music for the children, you know, in, in the, the, the Indian villages so they can learn Bach. I just, I, God's really called me to that. There was a lady, uh, I saw a video. She just knew that God had called her to, to save all the animals in the world. It was like, okay, service is good. I appreciate your zeal, but... Can we find something that would matter to the church and to the body of Christ? Some of us, we find these, these perfect ministries for us. We create them whole cloth. And they are absolutely meaningless because we're not serving anyone in any real practical way. And so a Christian demonstrates a servant heart by helping others in practical ways. And, and, and that boils down to being willing to be humble and available and observant and faithful and dedicated regardless of your current circumstances, regardless of the faithfulness or lack of faithfulness of the people you're called to serve, but giving of yourself as your Jesus gave of himself. You are a servant. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, you are a servant. Irrespective of your circumstances or the character of those you're supposed to be serving. There's there's genuinely, when it comes to the walk that we've been called to, no excuse not to be ready to give of yourself, especially to the body of Christ. No excuse. Stop it. Now, when I say no excuse... I was in the hospital for a month. Hey, I got to do that for a week, right? Okay, so that's a good excuse. We get that. We're supposed to be serving you in that moment. I, I had a really late, last, late night last night and I'm a little tired. No. Well, I can only commit to this much time because we've got big plans in our life. No. Your, your circumstances, look, is, is this body is this call of god on your life is this what you were shaped and made for or is it something else if it's something else stop jerking a chain 
and go do that something else. But if you know you were called to follow after Christ, you understand your call as a servant, serve. Stop making excuses. Stop allowing everything else. Why? Because it's, it's based on your love for your Savior first. And then hopefully your growing love for other believers. And then your confidence in, your, your confidence in the plans that God has for your life. Like, here, here's what is so cool about the confidence that, that we can have in the plans of God for us. And, and in our, the certainty of our redemption and our eternity. I am not afraid of missing out on things this side of death. Uh, Shelly and I have a list of things we'd like to do. I'd love to live in a cabin in the woods, on the beach, by a lake, uh, with a ski resort. Uh, you, you, you get it, right? I mean, we all have these dreams, these things we would love to accomplish. I would love to eat food from every region in Europe, except for maybe, well, there's a couple of places, you know, where it's bland or it's funky. I'm not eating anything that's a brain or blood or anything like that. I'd, I'd love to go to Asia and experience different cultures and, and feel like I'm in a different world because I am a Midwestern white bread dude. And, and I'd, I'd love to just go feel like I'm in a foreign world. The reality is, I probably won't do most of those things. I long for them. It would be just a dream fulfilled. I, I mean, the, the closest I'm going to get to other parts of the world is if I ever make it to Epcot. And Disney World, in all honesty, is so expensive at this point, I don't think I'll ever make it to Disney World. We had a five-gallon water jug beside our front door. We have been saving to go to Disney World since we got married. <laughs> um, we, 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 it was almost full of coins. We wrapped, we cashed in. Do you know how much we had? $700. Do you know where you cannot go on $700? Disney World, downtown Pittsburgh, you can barely go on $700, right? And, 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 and so here is a dream that we've been dreaming our entire life. Now, we were blessed at one point. We got to go to Disneyland. And, and that just that's like the difference, you know, between like, oh, I don't know, Macy's and Walmart kind of feel, right? I mean, it, it's okay, but man, there's a better place from what I understand. But, but yet, I am destined for an eternity better than Disney World, Disneyland. There will come a time in my resurrected life when Jesus returns and raises me up from the dead and puts me in a perfected body where there will be no barriers from me to go and see any part of this world. And guess what? When Jesus returns to rule over it and it is fully redeemed, it'll be even better than it is today. The food will taste better the views will be better. And so today, to sacrifice whatever it takes to serve the body of Christ is worth it because I know where my eternity lies. And I know that better is on the way. And that whatever I would give in this lifetime, something even more amazing than what I have dreamt of now is on the plate for me and is coming. And so it's easier to sacrifice when we love and we have a plain view of what's coming down the pike for us. And then you are a servant, but you need to be humble and available and observant and faithful and dedicated. And all of these things should describe you. In other words, willing to do whatever God puts before you. Ready to serve instead of making excuses. Paying attention to needs and meeting them as they arise instead of waiting for someone to come and ask you to volunteer. 
And then finally, when you commit to service, keep serving. Be faithful and dedicated and don't give up. Now, we, we have opportunities. If you were to pull out that connection card again and you were to, to just be ready to write down, well, I've got opportunities. I'll, I'll tell you some places right now where if you wrote down, I'm interested in or sign me up for or kids ministry, I'll have somebody get a hold of you. That means you need to write your name and a way to get a hold of you on there somewhere too. But, but opportunities right now in children's ministry, we have opportunities for Sunday school teachers. Opportunities, uh, And so I, I asked my ministry leaders to email me stuff, and then I forgot to print out the emails. So I'm gifted that way. So you can call out stuff. Uh, uh, children's ministry, we got um, Sunday school teaching opportunities. What else, Missy? I need help organizing my That's what it was. Office organization and cleaning. Maybe you don't like kids. They taste funny. But instead, you are an organizer, and you hate clutter, and Missy would love to have you come help clean out the, the office that, uh, by no fault of hers, has slowly collected things over the last few years. Uh, the women's ministry, Marlene has mentioned there are opportunities just to serve in, in food and in hospitality. And, and so, ladies, if you're interested in helping serve other women to grow them up in Christ-likeness, write it down. Turn in the card in the offering box or the table up front. Uh, other opportunities. Uh, we, we have got, uh, see, and now i got to remember who else did I emailed me. Uh, bring food. <laughs> Bring food for, for, for the food bank through the Washington City Mission that we, we help support. There's, a, there's been a barrel out there since oh, six years ago. And it, it is not often full enough. It gets full, but it could be more full, especially this time of year. Uh, other places to serve. Worship. Jay and our other volunteers do a great job. Guess what we need on a regular basis? more folks to help. Uh, Shelly loves to sing. Shelly does not love to sing every Sunday. Because um, it, it just sometimes you want to be part and not have to lead. Uh, you recognize the fact that Jay is so desperate, he puts a strum monkey like me up on worship. And I call myself a strum monkey because anybody can play guitar the way I play guitar. Just kind of this is all you do, right? Um, There are people, you you were gifted in music or instruments, and yet you're sitting there. And, And what's funny is you're probably one of the first people to go, worship just wasn't very engaging today. It's because you weren't up here. And leading and doing. Just just other places to serve. They'll be mowing next summer. They'll, every time it snows, if you want to serve, I guarantee if you show up about 8 to 8.30, we will let you shovel the sidewalks. Guaranteed. Why? Because I get tired of doing it and, and the other elders as well. There are always places to serve, but it takes you being humble and available and observant and faithful and dedicated, loving your Christ and one another, being confident in the fact that you can sacrifice whatever is before you for the sake of what is to come. And it doesn't matter how you're feeling that day or that the people that you're called to serve actually deserve it, but you know you are a servant. So if you're interested, would you grab that connection card? If you've got prayer requests, if you're interested in, in baptism or your, our membership or other questions, would you please fill out those connection cards? Bring them up front here or as you head out today, as you head out today, <laughs> would you put it in the box in the back for offering? Y'all, 
I got to tell you, I, I see so much potential in this body and in the community that God has blessed us with. Would you look around when you drive today? Instead of just focusing on the road, look around a little bit. Don't endanger your life or the lives of your passengers, but look around a little bit. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of homes going in within a two to five mile radius of our church. Hundreds of people. And statistically, only about 10 to 17% of them know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And will attend church on an even semi-regular basis. What does that tell us? If there is a community of 100 homes and there's two people in each home, 200 people, only 25 of them have a home church that they'll go to even semi-regularly. Which means what? There are 175 people in that community that could be in our church. That we could introduce to Jesus and teach them how to live the Christian life. And that, that's just one little community. There are, there are so many going in. There's so much potential here. There's so much potential in each one of you when you're willing and ready to serve. And so that's why we get sermons like this today. Will you? You're supposed to be. Will you? Will you have the right attitude? Not looking and waiting for other people to do the job, but instead picking up and doing whatever God puts before you. Humble, available, observant, faithful, and dedicated, ready to serve in any way God asks. Fill out your connection cards, turn them in, but for now, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time and the fact that you saved us by the loving sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We know that he has set the example for us, that we have no reason to stand back and say we don't get it. No reason to stand back and say, well, we don't have to, do we? But instead, he has given us a clear path forward in what it means to follow him. And that includes serving one another as he served us. So help us to take off the things of this world that keep us from serving as we should, to wrap towels around our waists, and to wash one another's feet by helping in children's ministry and leading in worship and cleaning bathrooms and and helping in women's ministry and bringing food for those in our community who have need. That we would never fail to stop looking for ways to serve and do it without grumbling or complaining but realizing every time we do it it's in to your glory and for the good of those around us so that we might have fullness of life and be blessed as you promised Lord Jesus thank you again for this time and I thank you for what is to come as we share in baptism with Alexander we rejoice that he is taking this first step on his journey to following you the rest of his life. Bless the remainder of this time and help us to be rightly focused and celebrate together. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together our final song. Don't forget those connection cards here in a little while. Turn those in and let me know where you're ready to serve. Or maybe you got a place that I've missed and it needs to be uh, picked up. Tell me where you're going to start serving 
in a practical way to meet the needs of others. Let's sing together.